is not quite to the table. Yeah, when you go to a restaurant and the table's not quite right. Okay, there we go. All right. Uh, we are coming to the end. Closing in on the end of Meeks Left. So that is exciting. Um, only have a few weeks left. And so we, we will finish in a couple weeks. So thank you for those of you who have hung on and been through this journey. Uh, let's pray and then we'll, um, we will get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. I thank you for the, again, another week to be here and to gather and to open your word and to seek your face and to seek your understanding. And so today we do that and we ask your Holy Spirit to be with us and to help us uh, understand the, this text as best we can and, and help us to engage in some modesty and humility as we discuss a topic that uh, times can be volatile. And so just help us uh, to see clearly what it is that you desire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tonight we're going tw 24 and 25 uh, and this is the first, I think this is the first week we've done two chapters, so big chunk, but as you'll notice, um, if you have a, a red letter Bible, as they say, you'll see, um, so it's a big, dis big discourse here. So, uh, remember last week we had the woes and then Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem and then uh, Matthew tells us Jesus left the temple, Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered to them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That's kind of a thesis statement. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take their cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, 
For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And in those days, ha- and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so if you have to say, if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Thank you. So also, when you see the things, these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, you will, be, you will set him, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, 
for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who went, who were ready, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and, it, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talents from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what they have will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these... My brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. 
I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Whew. Okay, so uh, first thing we have to do, and, and um, yeah, no disclaimers. First thing we have to do is we have to remind ourselves of what is going on. Matthew is writing a gospel to recount what Jesus has done in Jesus' life so that the first century church has an accounting of the gospel, and can remember these things. My microphone's messing with me. Likewise, we have to remember where we are at within the story of Jesus' life. We are, as we go into next week, we are moving into his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. So this is the end of his real teaching within the gospel. And so he is concluding with this big section. Now, the other thing we have to be aware of is Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified. He's been predicting this and predicting this and predicting this. He knows he's headed to be crucified. And so he has one last opportunity to teach the disciples about what's going to happen in the future. And so what he is trying to do is assure that his people, as they move out in the world, are ready for what is going to be coming for them. And it's, it's a little bit like this. I was, when I was driving back from dinner, I was hearing about National uh, Severe Weather Month or something. And so tomorrow in Minnesota, we're having like statewide tornado drill. They're like, so when you hear the siren, pretend like it's a real tornado. And what would you do? And where would you go? And I'm like, yeah, no one is going to do that. Literally, you're going to be like, what's going on? It's still winter. Or when I think about uh, my friends who are in, you know, EMT, fire, law enforcement, the amount of training that they do just in case something was to happen. Jesus is setting up his disciples and trying to get them ready so that they know how to behave when these things will happen. What we don't want to do is first and foremost say, how does this text relate to me? That would be doing the text a disservice. If we have an interpretation for our own life that is not in alignment with what was intended by Matthew and by Jesus, that interpretation is faulty and we need to reject it. So often is the case, we come with our preconceived conclusions about what the Bible should say, and so then as we're reading into texts like this, we are reading in our own preconceived ideas of what Jesus is trying to communicate, when in reality, we should be asking ourselves, what is Jesus communicating to his first audience, first and foremost? What is Matthew trying to communicate through the words of Jesus to his first reader, and then there becomes a secondary or thirdary 
tertiary. Thank you. I found this on the web. Thank you, Siri. Jesus, <laughs> Siri's listening at all times. So, furthermore, one of the reasons why I chose to do this night in two chapters is because an grotesque amount of ink has been spilt over these verses and this topic. And a grotesque amount of dollars have been extracted from faithful followers of Jesus who are trying to understand Scripture by people who know that this is a great way to make a lot of money. I know this because I have family members who would travel to these conferences, literally go north of the border where you can get milk in a bag and learn about prophecy. So, all that to say, as we go into this text, we proceed with caution, trying to understand what is it that Jesus is communicating to his disciples as they sit together on the Mount of Olives in the shadow of the cross. Well, first of all, he, he makes this prediction about the destruction of the temple. Fast forward to the trial of Jesus, we have two witnesses that are going to bring up this same text. Notice also, as he starts talking about the signs at the end of the age, he uses the second person plural about how things are going to go down. So he is speaking directly to his disciples about what is going to happen in their lifetime. And as uh, Blomberg points out in his commentary on this section, the majority of the things that Jesus says in the first part of 24 have happened by A.D. 70. So as we read through these and we start to try and put together some uh, mysterious timeline about what's going to happen in the future, spoiler alert, all these things have already happened in the first part of 24. So if we're looking for when they're going to happen, they've already happened. We know that in AD 70, the, the uh, temple is destroyed this abomination of desolation, the desolation of the sacred temple has taken place. The temple has been destroyed, as Jesus talks about. And so all of these things are happening. And so just think about the, the early church, okay, is really trying to get off their feet. Paul is, is doing his missionary thing, and Peter and Barnabas and all those guys and Timothy, and they're, they're going around and they're planting these churches. And at the same time, we're seeing these things happen. So they, are, they can talk about Matthew's gospel and say, this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. So they aren't surprised and they aren't drawn away from the truth of the gospel. They are prepared mentally for what they are going to experience and then do experience. And we were talking about this uh, when we were over, when Nikki and the kids and I, we were over in Italy, and we were talking about in 79 AD, can you imagine living in Pompeii as a Christian, if you were a Christian at the time, you probably didn't live in Pompeii, but you maybe lived nearby, and you're like, it's happening! 
Like this whole city is just like wiped out. And so you start to see these signs and these wonders that are happening. And if you remember back, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? What were they looking for? They were looking for a sign. They were looking for wonders. And Jesus is saying, I will not give you a sign. I will give you the sign of Jonah. And now he is telling that his uh, disciples that there will be uh, these great signs. Another thing that we need to be aware of is this category of son of man, because son of man is, is one label for Jesus. Son of God is another label for Jesus. And as we've talked about throughout Matthew, this idea of sonship and lineage permeates throughout Matthew's gospel. And in this case, we see the emphasis on the humanity of Jesus by identifying him as the Son of Man. Why is that important? Well, if you jump ahead with me to verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And so we have this interesting Christological conversation with ourselves about how much did Jesus know and when did he know it? And so if Jesus says he doesn't even know when it's going to happen, is Jesus somehow limited in his omniscience? And how does that work within the Trinity? Well, if we think about the emphasis on the humanity of Jesus in this instance, Jesus doesn't know certain things, and that's not a problem for us because Jesus is equally God and equally man at the same time. And if we overemphasize the divinity of Jesus or overemphasize the humanity of Jesus, the Jesus scale gets tipped and gets wonky, and then we have a problem with who Jesus really is. And so Jesus is trying to articulate how he functions and how this thing, he doesn't even know when it's going to happen. Let's just say that again. Not even Jesus knows when it's going to happen. So why is it that we have such a fascination and obsession with when it's going to happen? And some of you, are, I understand, are like, I don't. <laughs> I, I, okay, I understand. But a lot of people bought every single one of the Left Behind books because they were obsessed. And Jerry Jenkins licked his chops all the way to the bank. And we have two movie versions of it, and we become obsessed with this idea of the end times. And right here, Jesus is like, I don't know. Well, when might it be? I don't know. How's it? I still don't know. Remember a couple weeks ago, John was talking about this in his sermon. Jesus doesn't know. So how would we ever know? So why do we get so amped about trying to figure it out? Well, the spot on Mikhail Gorbachev's head is the mark of the beast and dot, dot, dot. Oh, my word. Are we, are we serious? We were serious. 
But notice how biblical themes and our obsession with the end of the world gets wrapped up and then prepackaged and regurgitated to us so that we can use it to what? In a worldly way, to have enemies who we are to fight against. And Jesus says, Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son of Man knows. Can you establish a need to know? And you don't need to know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we have these interesting comments by Jesus that says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now the question becomes, is that applying to everything that has just been said? Because that does take place, in essence, in that generation. And then as we move on into 36 with this uh, but, this adversative, then we start into a new section. That seems to make some sense. So, then he goes through and he talks about all of these things and how they're going to take place. Well, if, if we're thinking in a first century context and we're thinking about the Roman Empire fully taking over Jerusalem and starting to uh, take over control of people's property and all these things, we can understand that if two people are in a field, one may be captured and one may be left. Two women working together, one may be captured and one left behind. Not in this cosmic sense, but in a literal sense of the powers are coming through. They're taking people, moving people into exile, taking people into captivity, all those types of things. What we do know is in verse uh, 51... We don't want to go to this place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth because that statement gets used here and then we get two parables and then we get this idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth again. And so we have these two parables about preparedness and this idea of being pre prepared. And we even, you know, in the, in the 90s, people get ready, Jesus is coming. To which we could say, we're closer to the end today than we were yesterday. And if tomorrow happens, tomorrow will be closer than we are the next day. When is it going to happen? We don't know. As we look throughout history, these events have been on recycle throughout history. So we shouldn't get too excited when they happen again because they're probably going to happen again. You know, the idea of uh, woe to the woman who's pregnant or the woman who is nursing, it makes you think of wartime. And if you are pregnant and you have to flee from war, that's hard. I mean, being pregnant is hard. Fleeing from war is hard. Being pregnant and fleeing from war is hard. And so Jesus is pointing those things out to his people. And, of course, he gives them these parables because they are of utmost importance for them to understand what's happening. And the idea is, we don't know, so you should be ready. Verse 44, therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
And so Jesus gives these, in essence, these mixed ideas of, I don't know when it's happening. It's probably going to be soon, but I don't know when it's going to happen. It may be uh, well into the future. I don't know when it's going to happen, so just be ready. And then even this idea of the manager uh, coming when you would least expect it. Then he goes on to discuss the final judgment. Now, it's interesting because we so often want to skip over this or we want to uh, break these two things apart and we become so obsessed with one part to the detriment and the neglect of this other part. And so Jesus paints this picture of the last judgment. And he does it in these agrarian terms because, well, that's what these people would know. And, and we see this image of all these people gathered around. Right here it says, before him will be gathered all the nations. Okay, John talks about this in this vision. And if we had more time, we could get into all this conversation about what apocalyptic literature is supposed to do and how we misuse it. But all the people are gathered together. And there is this separation that takes place. And we have the sheep and the goats. And we're like, yep, okay, I've heard this before, I understand. Why are the sheep welcomed in and the goats not welcomed in? Does Jesus say, uh, these are the sheep because uh, they are aware of They've read their Bible every year. They can quote scripture. They have done this thing that is called accepting Jesus into their heart. They have believed the right thing. They have performed the right religious ceremonies. At the judgment, why are they allowed to enter into the kingdom? Excuse me? Lamb chops? <laughs> what does Jesus say? And even the people there are surprised. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we are on verse uh, 35 of 25. So what about the sheep knowing my voice? Uh, that, has, that doesn't have anything to do with this. Yeah. In the back. You're really close. So she said it's feeding, feeding them clothing them, sheltering them, period, 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 full stop. Jesus says, welcome into my kingdom. Why? Because you saw somebody who was hungry and you gave them food. 
You saw somebody who was without clothes, and you gave them clothes. You saw a stranger, and you welcomed them in. You went to people who were in prison, and you cared for them. You saw someone who was sick, and you cared for that person. Come on in. Period. That's it. And Morris says this absolutely shocking statement in his commentary on this section. He says, We must bear in mind that it is common to the whole scriptural picture that we are saved by grace and judged by works. Now, I understand there is some, like, some twitching and some squeaming right now. Trust me, I'm well aware. Jesus tells his disciples, the individuals that I welcome into the kingdom are those people who choose to love and care for the physical needs of the least of these thank you we have been talking about this every single week for like how many weeks the least of these is the main one of the main themes of matthew's gospel and jesus says all the way back at the beginning how we live our lives and how we treat other people is the signature thing about what it means to be a follower of his and to enter into the kingdom. The people that get left out, the goats, they're like, wait a second. We didn't ever see you in need. And Jesus is like, my point exactly. And it's fascinating because in St. Peter's Square in Vatican City, there is the the newest statue, and I was going to put it on the screen, is called Angels Unaware. And it's it's an immigrant boat with 150 different immigrants on the boat. In the middle of the boat, there are these angel wings that are sticking out. And the 150 individuals represent the 150 statues that surround St. Peter's Square. And when the Pope had it commissioned, he wanted to recognize that the 150 people in that boat are just as important as the 150 saints that surround the square. And Jesus says, when you choose to do these things, this is when you are truly living as a follower of mine. And I know it is hard. It is so hard and it is so messy and ugh. And I know we wrestle with this because back in uh, my freshman year of college, Nikki and I spent a month in Chicago studying inner city ministry. And, and if you've been to Chicago, you know there are homeless people abounding within the city. And we even talked with people that are working with, with homeless ministries and and you're like, well, so am I supposed to give money to every single person that I see on the street? And aren't they going to take it and use it and do things with it? Jesus says nothing about money, actually. 
He doesn't say, welcome in sheep, you gave money at the right time. And again, he's writing to people, or he's telling people, who are about to start the church and who are going to encounter loads of people who are in need. Especially if the Jewish state is is taken over by the Roman government and the temple is destroyed and all these people are dispersed, they're going to need some care. They're going to need some food. They're going to need some shelter. There's going to be people who are imprisoned because of their faith. And Jesus is saying, When you go and you care for those people, you are caring for me. And this, in the end, is what is most important. Because again, for us to give money, it becomes transactional. We can be very philanthropic in a very clean way and miss what Jesus is trying to say here. Because when we do the things that Jesus says we are to do, we have to see the people. We have to be in proximity to those people. What have we talked about in all of the healings that Jesus has? Yes, some of them have been far away, but some of them have been so up close. And he has reached down and he has touched people that are unclean and he's gotten, he's gotten dirty with these people and he has seen them for who they are and their value. And when we choose to give somebody clothing or food or water or go to somebody in prison or somebody who is sick, we see them. And we see them for who they are and their humanity. And I think I've talked about this before, but I forget things now that I'm 43. One of the great things about being in Detroit is you walk around everywhere. And unless you bury your head in the sidewalk, you see people. And you see them for who they are. And you get to encounter them. And you get to hear from them. And on the last night, we had uh, Mrs. Dean. Why can't I remember her name? I guess because maybe I'm 43. Um, She had made this tater tot hot dish. You know, she's from Minnesota. And so she's like, I'm going to make you guys tater tot hot dish. And by then, we we didn't really eat that much. And so we had this whole extra pan. And Amanda was like, we're taking this pan, and we're going down to Cass Park. Who's with me? And I was like, well, yeah. And so we get a group together, and we just start walking around Cass Park, which used to be this super torn-down area in Detroit, with plates and bread and tater tot hot dish. And we're just like, who needs some food? We don't say, well, what did you do? Like, why are you out here? You know, you see somebody who's clearly smoking marijuana, you're like, well, sorry, that guy doesn't deserve food because he's smoking a joint. That person doesn't deserve it because, well, they're homeless because of X, Y, and Z. Well, they don't, they don't deserve it because they don't look like us, talk like us, act like us. They don't deserve it because they don't have the right paperwork or even an American passport. They don't deserve it because they don't even go to church. 
And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. How many times can I say no? Because when we choose to neglect those people, the weeping and gnashing of teeth is a problem. And why is it that we, we, can, be, we can be drawn and drawn forward to the front, you know, the old school, you know, come forward. We're, this month we're going through Philip Yancey's book, uh, his memoir, and, and so he talks about all these revivals and how, the, the, you know, he's a part of this church. There was 120 of them, and every week the pastor had a, a, a call forward, altar call. And he's like, I'm pretty sure those 120 people have every single one of them has been forward at least once. <laughs> So why are we spending five minutes having another altar call? They've all been forward. No one's new. We are so terrified of hell that we will pray a prayer except here Jesus says, and then there's some action that is required. And I know it makes us feel very uncomfortable. You're saying, I, I have to do things to make it into the kingdom of heaven. I am not saying that. Matthew is recording the words of Jesus. And these words are, are pretty hardcore. And again, we, we, can, we can have this idea of, well, you know, We'll just send them to we'll send them to Bridges of Hope. We'll send them to the food shelf, we'll, or we'll send them to the food shelf. We'll send them to the soup kitchen. We'll send them to the county. They can get resources there. Except that's not what this says. You say, well, Eric, there was. I understand that, and I fully believe if the Church of Jesus Christ did this the amount of county funding that we needed for people would be minuscule. But for some reason, we think, oh, I don't have to do that because that's not my job. Except Jesus says, those people who, are, who enter into my kingdom, those people who are selected to enter into the kingdom have done this thing. And again, trust me, I know this is not easy. This is messy. This is painful. And again, I know all too well. <laughs> all too well. And yet when we read these words, it makes me quake in my very core about missing people and how I have missed Jesus because I don't want to look at that person standing on the corner and I judge them. Well, they're just going to, they're just going to, they're just going to fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. On Monday night, we had some friends over uh, and we were having dinner and, and, and recounting all the ways that they have done this. 
and just saying, you have lived what Jesus calls us to live. And saying, yes, we were taken advantage of. We had things stolen from us. We lost a bunch of money. We could have done this. We could have done that. We chose not to. And and we come to this text, and it just, if we are more interested in when Jesus is coming back and less interested in answering the call to feed and clothe and shelter people, I think that leaves us in a very precarious position. And this is going to be the uh, July book club, or reading group. Sorry, it's not a book club. Those of you who have been dying to be in a book club, it's not a book club. Joshua Jipp wrote this book, Saved by Faith and Hospitality. And this is going to be July's book for our reading group because when we hear these words of Jesus, and if we honestly believe that Jesus is serious, thank you, Sky Jitani, then there's things that have to change in how we view people, how we treat people, how we treat our stuff, how we treat our homes, how we view people who don't look like us, talk like us, walk like us, act like us, Because none of that matters. None of that matters. Jesus says, what matters is that you saw someone in need and you provided for their need. That is what matters. And again, I know, this is so hard and awkward and uncomfortable and painful And in our deepest selves, it just, we, Paul says to the Galatian church, there's living by the flesh and there's living by the spirit. And this is what it looks like to live by the spirit. And the question that we've been asking ourselves throughout Matthew's gospel all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, this is what it's going to look like. And now here, towards the end, right before he's crucified, he says, if you want to know at the end that I'm going to welcome you into the kingdom of heaven, here are some things that you should be doing in the present. It's hardcore. You can go to your groups.